sometimes you need to have a rhythm. There needs to be pacing. There need to be beats so that people can be guided through an experience. And we wanted people to have a transformative experience. And we couldn't have transformation happening if we weren't landing on the beats. Hello and welcome to the Emergent Strategy podcast, hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We're a collective of facilitators, mediators, trainers, and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today, I'll be guiding our interview, Amia, a Mason of Abundance, facilitator, and Black Mama with ESII. Emergent strategy is the way we generate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. And today we have a wonderful guest, Shalewa McCall. Shalewa has more than 30 years experience teaching, performing, and creating in traditional and contemporary African diaspora dance forms. She's performed with Rashida Bumbre Dance Diaspora, she co-founded and performed with Giwayan Mata, and she founded the Movement for Urban Village Dance Company, MUV, and presented her choreography at Brick, Cumble Theater, Joyce Soho, y'all, many, many places, including Summer Stage. Shalewa is currently developing interdisciplinary performance projects, joining movement and poetry. Her poetry was included in the, in the 50 and 50 project in New York and Los Angeles and the 2019 Visible Poetry Project. She's a 2019 Poet House Emerging Poets Fellow and currently teaches dance and Black studies at St. Anne's School, works as a fieldwork facilitator, as an active member of Acre Pisab. So with that, welcome Shalewa. How are you? Hello, Mia. I am well. Big, ain't you here that the woman who broke free decided she was done with worry, would complain? No, more. She realized all her apologizing, shrinking, excusing, was playing. Small, she was gaslighting herself. She big, she blowing up. She big. Woo! Thank you for that. Thank you for opening our space with your words and with that particular message. Mm. Oh, I'm interested in where that came from. And I know so many of us can feel some resonance with that. Yes, she big. I was really excited to have the opportunity to speak with you. We really felt like there were elements and how you show up that we've experienced in immersions and other emergent strategy spaces. And really we're like, if you accept the premise that the way that you move with adaptation and interdependence and some shared moments that we've had around transformative justice and resilience, 
then we see you as an emergent strategist. And we want to know if you accept that so we can move on and hear about how your emergent strategy moves, you know, in the world. Well, yes. Uh, thank you. I was so excited and honored to be invited to have this conversation. I have been thinking a lot about what it is to be an emergent strategist, to be riding waves of change and shaping and surrendering, flocking and flowing, connecting and releasing, and all of the different things. That has been so super forward for me and with me in these months of um, indwelling time and, and in the period before that, immediately preceding that, um, the last in-person emergent strategy gathering I got to participate in was coincident with my diagnosis uh, of endometrial cancer. And so I came out of the last gathering, a facilitator training experience, and went directly into the process of healing and treating a cancer in my body and in my womb, um, which I am 52, and I talk about uh, being a member of Generation X uh, a fair amount. It feels important to me. It feels that the idea of, of the crossroads and being the crossroads for a lot of generational experience is important. We got to know how to do stuff analog, and that matters. We got to know a kind of quiet and boredom that is harder to access but is super generative we weren't by the standards of 2020 well attended by our grown-ups and that has some upsides and some downsides but i think it made us resourceful and sometimes though it made us too willing to take shorts i think one of the things that I have learned in emergent strategy space specifically from younger people is to expect more, to expect people to actually care and show up in a way that I think Generation X people always sort of had the real experience of nobody's coming to take care of you, you better figure it out, kid. And um, younger people now are really not here for that message. They are very clear that people need to care about what is happening with them. So I feel privileged to have, you know, known great grandparents who were born in the 19th century and to be standing here in the 21st century and, you know, knowing in my students and in other colleagues, um, if not myself exactly, people who will certainly see the 22nd. Mm, 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 mm. Okay, whole word Gen X represent, represent them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really so deeply appreciate that standing and um, holding our generation as a crossroads in that way that is magnificent. And you've already started to bring in this way that you are in relationship to folks who will be in the 22nd and your relationship as a teacher and as a parent, you know, give you access to intentionally sitting with the way in which we are like, let our 
Let our impact ripple backwards and forwards. And I feel like that is so deeply true with you. I want to like take us back to what you shared just in terms of um, being in an immersion. I want to make sure the audience knows what we're talking about and then delve in from there. So, you know, an immersion is a locally based community experience of practicing emergent strategy together over the course of three to four days. And where Adrian was really trying to figure out how to iterate and adapt and learn with these principles and elements with people in a particular way. And so I'd love to hear from you, given the span of your experiences with immersions, you know, what have been some lasting impressions, um, impacts from your time practicing, co-creating emergent strategy with others in community? So much. I heard about emergent strategy. I guess Adriana had been in sort of parallel, but not quite intersected spaces for a while. And we actually formally met at Vona Voices, uh, writing workshop for writers of color and then you know we mostly didn't land in the same spaces physically but we were in the same social media spaces so as emergent strategy was emerging i was really interested in the idea i love how in creating the text adrian was able to concretize something that was kind of numinous between a lot of us. And we had ideas and feelings and vibes and either you kind of got the vibe and you could flow or you didn't get the vibe and you thought we were weird. And when the book finally came, I was so excited to read it and to like recognize so much and to learn so much. Um, and have things that were just on the edge of my consciousness, like come more fully into um, my awareness and into my control is such a weird word, but to become available to me because I could, you know, consciously engage in the interconnected substructure that like mycelium represents and that everything is connected idea um, had another kind of fullness and more depth and more richness in it, more possibility in it, in some of the ways that things were being presented. So I was really excited and um, I teach at a fancy private school in New York City and one of the things that I have had as a practice is to be intentional um, as a teacher in what I teach. And as it happens, all of the things that I teach are um, pretty directly engaging African diaspora history and culture. And all of my students um, take my classes as electives, so they affirmatively choose to be in the space. And there are certain ways that I know that I get to move that are very um, aligned with 
emergent strategy. And one of my practices for myself as an educator has been to be intentional about the professional development that I do and to ask to participate in different kinds of experiences. So when ideation institutes were introduced and there was one happening in the summer, which is my season to uh, develop myself as a, an educator, I was like, yes, I'm definitely want, want to be there. And that immersion was really big and wild and wonderful and hard. And I learned some lessons the hard way there. But I also came out feeling more con connected. And that was the eve of my, uh, it was like six weeks before I turned 50. And that was a really big milestone, emotional experience for me. And I found age mates and I found much younger people, both in, in the community and the dynamic of being in community with a range of people and especially a range of black women um, and femme identified people, um, non-binary identified people also in a space that was profoundly multiracial, I think. Um, one of the things that has changed about immersions is that they are not nearly so multiracial as the one I attended the first time is, in part because of some of the challenges. And, um, you know, there's so much hard work for people who fall under the huge umbrella that is BIPOC identified human beings. Um, we have so much work to do with each other, sometimes trying to do that work with ourselves and each other and white people at the same time is overwhelming. And it was sometimes overwhelming in that first immersion. But I had learned so much, including um, a really high key reminder to be okay with saying, I'm not doing work with white people today. And that was an important takeaway. And you know, sometimes it, or more often than what I'm not doing, it expresses as, I really need to be in community with Black people today. Yeah. I really need to be in community with people who share some generational experience with me today. Um, to honor my real experiences and know that it is important for a person um, who, as I often do, holds space and uh, opens windows and doors, that sometimes I need to be able to sit in front of a mirror. And we talk about that mirrors and windows thing, and my balance isn't always perfect on that. <laughs> and um, that brings me to the second immersion experience. And I had the excellent good fortune to find myself in a working group that was being held by Mia. And Mia and I met when she was working for uh, a major nonprofit. And one of the things that that nonprofit graciously did was give space to 
um, young creative women and non-binary people to get together and make an arts collective called We Rise that was transformational. I started a dance company and I quit my day job and all kinds of other things happened in that intermediate space. Um, and every once in a while, Mia and I would kind of helix back around each other. And I was so happy um, to walk into the emergent space in New York and see Mia there. And I landed in a group, which not unlike the group that I had been in at the first emergent in Detroit, included lots of really powerful people with really different ideas about how to move forward. And we finally had figured out the rough outline of our offering to the larger group, trying to refine it a bit. And I was really concerned about the rhythm. I am a choreographer and a director of performances. I am a teacher with a lot of experience. And I know that sometimes you need to have a rhythm. There needs to be pacing. There need to be beats so that people can be guided through an experience. And we wanted people to have a transformative experience. And we couldn't have transformation happening if we weren't landing on the beats. And I asked, I remember asking the question, could somebody sing me <laughs> what our process was going to, to sound like? And um, the really wonderful group of people that we were didn't look at me like I was silly for asking that question, but then realized, oh, we can't sing it. So maybe this isn't what we need. And we didn't know what we were gonna do but we all went away looking for the song. And um, I will acknowledge that some part of that is August Wilson, who I count as one of my sort of creative imaginary godfathers. In Joe Turner's Come and Gone, there's uh, a whole motif of finding your song and singing your song. The next day, the person who had been most resistant to my questioning was like, I woke up and I realized I couldn't sing it, but I could sing this, da, 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 and that was our rhythm. And we were like, yes. If you start cultivating in yourself an awareness of what is the same, what is different, what did I learn? How can I use that? That that becomes the way and you find both your own sort of internal personal rhythm and if you can learn that rhythm and you can trust that rhythm i am a dancer and you can keep dancing much there that is more than a word some form of a sermon 
clearly you are a teacher. I think you should also add historian to your biography. Um, I love the sharpness with which you remember the detail and the ways in which these different layers of story come together. And yes, I absolutely love that. And in fact, I remember having a dance teacher who used to say, find a practice that you can do for the rest of your life and then keep doing it, right? Dance being one of those fundamental ones, right? That's possible. And so I absolutely love that if you can find the rhythm, right? Keep the rhythm and dance. I love that. Um, and I really love, uh, I appreciate also what that means about what rhythm can in fact, teach us about being in right relationship with ourselves and each other and the planet. And I'm wondering if you have additional kind of reflections about that, given that that particular offering that you, um, that the offering that you gave to our group, one of being in your truth, you know, being, you know, without being, not gaslighting yourself, right? Like being true to yourself, being true to how you needed to show up in that space, and then asking us to find that rhythm so that we could create a joint rhythm, right? Um, felt so important. And so I'm just wondering, um, as a person who moves to the world, who is finding rhythms in all kinds of ways, what do you think rhythm has to teach us about being in right relationship with ourselves, each other, and the planet? Ooh, so much. So I teach dance mostly African diaspora. And for the past many years, I have primarily and even exclusively taught dance in a primarily white institution, a historically white school, um, if you will. And my students overrepresent the number of people of color in the institution, but are not exclusively people of color. And um, this is not to lean into stereotype, but it is to say that people of color broadly and generally have a greater exposure to rhythm and polyrhythm and densely rhythmic language and music and worship um, in a way that whiteness, particularly American whiteness, flattens out for lots of people. Like the main rhythms that you would get might be martial kind of marching and military rhythms that emphasize a hard kind of a down, I don't know how much, and you don't get or any of those other things, you know, which are our signals. And one of the things that I give to my students is rhythm. And sometimes I have students coming in who think they don't have any rhythm and they'll tell me from the top, they don't, and I'm like, do you have a heart? <laughs> all of us got rhythm because all of us have hearts, whatever is true, if we are living, we have the rhythm of our heart and the rhythm of our breath, so we're already in polyrhythm. And learning to be attentive to 
and receptive to your own internal rhythms is not easy. You know, it's work. And building that capacity to listen and to hear yourself and then to be, when we are able to be in um, physical proximity with each other in shared space and hear another person or um, to hear, we have often live music, uh, live percussion, mostly you know African djembe orchestra drumming for my dance classes, but sometimes other stuff. And to have a musician offering into the space a rhythm that we can all kind of join our rhythm to. Can we find a collective breath? Can we hear? Can we feel, you know, in our nice dance studio with sprung floors? Can we feel the rhythm of the music in our feet? What does it mean to feel that and translate that sensation into action? Connect that sensation to the internal rhythm that, you know, we start, we begin in stillness and we notice our bodies. That is the first thing I do with nine-year-olds, with 18-year-olds when I'm teaching in community, you know, teaching poetry workshops. Begin in stillness, notice your body. And that is, the, the thing that you notice is your rhythm. And sometimes the rhythm changes because of circumstance. Sometimes you are, needing to be more animated and move more quickly. And that's a real rhythm. And that is a rhythm that has helped, you know, us as human beings survive for millennia. Sometimes you need to take the rhythm all the way down and just kind of float on the edge of your consciousness or surrender into some other kind of space and knowing both of those ideas knowing your edges you know sometimes when i'm giving guided meditation i give uh, uh become aware of your edges as one of the the prompts knowing the far edge whether the far edge for you is to slow down that is my that is my far edge a lot of times I am good at being a harried person and being that stereotypical New Yorker who is doing 25 things and going 15 places and does not have the time to. And then remembering, you know what? All I really need is this. I so appreciate so much of what you're saying. And I'm feeling in particular, I'm, you know, inside of a somatic tradition that many of us have come through, Adrian, myself, and others, there is, we talk often about our width and the connection of our, and the space of our edges as actually the plane of interdependence and belonging, the plane by which we then kind of connect to others and call in who we belong to and feel for kind of our people. So I love you then talking, and then I'm loving just that connection of our edges as our belonging, and then knowing though first and foremost what our own rhythm is so then we can feel 
clearly how that rhythm intersects with others' rhythms. I'm feeling deeply, deeply moved by that. And um, and it makes me think about what I think one of the hardest things is inside of emergent strategy. One of the principles that's often so hard for people is trust the people and they become trustworthy. And you know what you're talking about just in terms of your kind of <laughs> myriad of experiences, even inside of the immersions, that that experience of trust the people and they become trustworthy seems like in many ways, most importantly, had to start with you trusting yourself, listening to yourself as trustworthy, and then kind of moving from that place. And so I'd love for you to reflect, um, you know, has this, how is this principle shown to, to be true for you? And, you know, where does it rub against your own conditioning and experiences? Oh, trust the people and they become trustworthy and moving at the speed of trust, which are not the same, but for me, they were really forward in my um, facilitator training. Uh, I got my diagnosis the night before I had to fly and the circumstances of my travel wound up being that I was kind of in a frantic state, a quiet but frantic state the night before, and I hadn't finished packing. And I had a travel budget that allowed me to check a bag. So instead of, you know, planning how to fit everything into a carry-on, I threw everything into a full-size suitcase and hit traffic and missed checking in my suitcase for my flight by 90 seconds. No! Yes. And um, this is moving at the speed of trust. I wasn't ready to go yet. <laughs> I actually needed that sit down and feel and listen to my own rhythm time. And I spent three hours that morning in the airport getting myself together to be in community and getting ready to walk into a room where colleagues and comrades and beloveds of all kinds were available to me in Detroit. So maybe getting out of Brooklyn um, was not going to be bad. And I trusted that the conversation that could only be had with the people who were gathered included a conversation for my healing. And I trusted that because even when immersion had been a really challenging and even painful space for me on some levels, it had been a space where I learned and I landed gently. And I got there and I had had the opportunity to share, to reach out to Adrian and to Mia and some of the other people and let them know what was happening with me. Really quickly, I was like, who do I need? And I knew my younger sister, the, the millennial who was good as I mentioned earlier about making sure that systems notice and take care and attend. That was my first backup person. And, and she was like, of course I can do that. I'm like, I know you can. I know I'm not good at that. 
I know I need that support. I know um, my housemates for my time in Detroit, who I knew from the New York immersion, um, but I didn't know very well outside of that. I knew that they were obviously the right people because they were the people who we had gone through a little bit of a thing trying to identify our right lodging, but we had identified right lodging. And I told them, yeah, I'm gonna be late. So you can check in and do whatever needs to happen without me and I'll trust you to um, make sure that the space works out the way we need it to work out. And it did, they were particularly excellent housemates. Um, and the room in general, I decided because I, I was coming into a space where one of the shared agreements is that we move at the trust, the speed of trust, and um, that we firmly live into the truth that if you trust the people, they become trustworthy. I didn't have to hide what was happening. It didn't have to be all that was happening. And I learned really quickly, oh, there's all this other stuff happening. And when I can just say, you know, yeah, this is happening with me right now. It doesn't have to be the only thing. And what I thought, what I imagined a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment would be like, wound up being radically transformed by, oh, I can do other things. And I can say, I can't do that right now. And other people can hold what needs to be held. And sometimes what needs to be held is me. And people were able to do that. In that moment, I started finding what I would find, which is a document that I drafted, um, incorporating each of the things we were learning, which was how to be in collaboration um, and in right relationship, doing hard work. And healing is hard work. I wrote this document. I specifically put footnotes in. I don't know if the version that I shared with you, you can see the footnotes easily, but there are footnotes in citing uh, passages in both emergent strategy and pleasure activism. Uh, I know people in my family bought the books because, you know, that was part of getting ready. And I took to heart one of the things that we really worked on in that particular gathering, which was which tools for which outcomes. And I identified the tools that felt like my necessary tools um, for my particular experience. And I was really excited. Um, the tools that I, chose the principles were invitation goes further than manipulation, move at the speed of trust, and create a culture of celebration, pivot towards pleasure. 
So it meant that I needed to trust myself enough to say what I needed and not try to like get people to want to give it to me. And that made a lot of things simpler. I stayed with my parents, um, my dad and my stepmom for six, almost seven months. I went very directly into treatment. Um, wasn't sure what was going to need to happen. I listened to my body. I was able to speak clearly my needs and uh, participate in a study tour and go to Cuba in the middle of treatment. And I told everybody what my intention was. I told every single doctor, and there were so many doctors. And I would say, well, these are the things that are happening. These are the things that are my priorities. This is how I need us to work and to think and to um, hold open this possibility as much as we are able to. And I am not preparing myself to harm myself. I am preparing myself to heal myself. And I was really blessed. I had um, the particular and specific blessing, I need to name it, of Black women doctors. When I couldn't always speak clearly, they absolutely were my advocates. And um, I do not misunderstand how important it was for me as a black woman, a middle-aged black woman, middle-aged black woman with a curvy full body, a middle-aged black woman with dark skin, to have other black women on my team, which Emergent Strategy, the first immersion reminded me of that. And knowing that they were the leads on my team made me, um, more able to move at a speed of trust and to move into trust relationships and invite other people into my vision for my care. May it be so, may it be so, may it be so. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I mean, there was so much good healing in that of what you shared. Um, everything from really being able to have advocates, to first and foremost be an advocate for yourself, to be clear about your journey and to invite in support along the way. Um, yeah, I was deeply moved by that. And, you know, having had my own journey with cancer, I really know and I'm clear that it's, you know, that there is no getting through that alone, that there is a journey that is mine and my own. There's an interpersonal journey that we have. And then there is the way in which, you know, inviting in others to support us and to care and to care with makes so much possible. And so um, your particular articulations of what you, the tools that you needed, I find so meaningful. Um, and in particular, I'm really, really living into and appreciating that one around like pivoting, celebrate and pivot towards pleasure, right? Because I do think that so much of this is about also making sure we express while we are here, that which brings us joy. So one other place is I, I'm interested in learning from you, from hearing your reflections about 
parenting an emerging strategy um, because um, when I hear you talk about your um, son and about the journey of parenting, I feel so much um, inspiration and I, I feel so much possibility. Um, and I feel also deep longing, right? This space of like, I want to be able to share and res hold respect and care in the way that I hear you reflect around your kind of mutual connection. And I want to hear a little bit about, you know, for you, how does emergent strategy show up in your parenting and being in right relationship with your adult son, right? He is an adult. It shows up in a lot of ways. I come from a familial experience that has definitely had some challenges. One of the things that my family of origin is is super expressive which you know is it's it means that sometimes the expression isn't gentle sometimes the expression is an explosion and one of the things that i really had to work on as a young parent and i single parented um, with lots and lots of family support. And I did have really excellent support, uh, particularly from my late grandmother and uh, from my son's grandfathers. When he was a little kid, he had really present grandfathers. But I had to learn and unlearn a lot of things around uh, my first principle of my healing, invitation goes further than manipulation. A lot of asking and a lot of willing to hear no, because an invitation is a request. And if it is with people who you are working at the speed of trust with and you're endeavoring to be in right relationship with, it's not a demand that you get to <laughs> turn back their no, if their no is earnest and honest. And, you know, teenage years are hard. I really, really, really loved in the, the, the period of parenting from say six to 12. You know, I jokingly say I, I live alone and I lived alone for the first time at, uh, in my later 40s, it was the first time I lived alone. I was not really excited about it. And my kind of joke is my perfect roommate is somebody who's nine years old and you know has on-demand babysitting. So I can do what I wanna do when I wanna do it. But nine-year-old human beings are some of my favorite, favorite people. They still think that um, weird and colorful people like me are interesting and fun and they have good questions and you know interesting contributions and observations that i would never know about if i didn't get to talk to them sometimes but also um they're usually pretty good at being members of the team and not trying to be the coach and I'm, i do like to be the coach so <laughs> like a nine-year-old person with good childcare could could kind of live with me um, but maybe not too many other people. And when 
my son moved into his teenage years. Um, I moved into caregiving for my grandmother and I was her caregiver for the last eight years of her life. And it was an interesting circle of generational support and mutuality that was sometimes hard. I think it was hard for my son to share me with my grandmother, even though his great grandmother was like one of his favorite people. She was one of the most awesome people ever. Um, so she was both of our favorite and we were her favorites, but also we all got on each other's nerves sometimes. <laughs> um, and as my son grew up, my son, I joke is one of the luckiest people I know. He was a hard person to fill up with messages of be careful, be cautious, because he's like, it'll work out for me. And like, it would. And that shifted a little bit as he got older um, because of the way uh, adult Black people um, are responded to in this society in a way that really cute and smart Black children sometimes can float over until they can't anymore. And that transitional time was maybe our rockiest time. And in the past five or six years, we have really grown in our capacity to say to each other, I need this support and I can offer this support. We trust each other and we love each other in a way that when one of us can't show all the way up in the way the other is requesting, it is not received as an indictment. And I don't have that with really too many other people in my life where I can't is, is a thing that I can say and it can be heard, but where I need is also a thing that I can ask and I will trust because the I can't is not ever, I can't do anything. It's like, I can't do that, but I can offer this. Can that, can that be useful? Can that be supportive? I can anticipate this need and I can surprise you sometimes. And we can do that for each other because we know each other really well. We've been dancing for 29 years, almost 30 years together, so. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, I got, you know, mm, I'm just gonna hold it right there. But for me, there is so much there that I'm really sitting with inside of that particular part that you talk about what was rocky. Um, because I can identify for me, it's that place of like, as a parenting a 14 year old right now, the place of wanting to parent for that transition and still also trying to hold the benevolence, grace, and just slackness inside of 14. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, and that is a, you know, that, that one is a push and, um, and I love what it is that you can offer each other and state to each other. And I just hope that that be something that we can all manifest in our lives and our relationships that feels like such, such a sacred 
um, exchange, such a sac sacred way of being. And I, I hope that that it can be rippled in so many ways. So I just appreciate you for sharing that. Yeah, and I would offer this to people um, with uh, two to four year olds and 12 or 13 to 19 or 22 year old. Um, this is age appropriate behavior. This is not an indictment of me. This is not a failing of them. Ashe. Yeah, it is actually something I say to some degree, some version of that on a daily basis. Just to remind myself so I act also age appropriate. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. So before we close, is there a place where folks or websites, social medias where people can continue to follow your work, hear your words, see your movement, get to bask a little bit more in the Shalewa life? You can follow me on Instagram at good and black, G-O-O-D-N-B-L-A-C-K. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Shalewa, for sharing your miraculous and precious time with us. This podcast is produced by Natalie Parrott. Music for the Emergent Strategy podcast is provided by Complex Movements, a Detroit-based artist collective. The music provided is from the soundtrack of their performance installation, Beware of the Dandelions. To support the ongoing work of ESII, make a donation at www.alliedmedia.org forward slash ESII.